This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, for Thursday, October the 20th, to be Pacific, as we say in the Atlantic. And uh, we'll start off with a little congrats. Uh, congrats to Shane Wright, fourth overall draft pick of the Seattle Kraken on his first NHL point. Picked up the second assist on the Ryan Donato goal yesterday. His parents were in the house yesterday. It's always wonderful to see that, you know, with the uh, the Seattle Kraken jersey. And then afterwards, he got absolutely trucked in the corner by Ivan Barbashev. <laughs> like, run over bad uh, by Ivan Barbashev. And I know if you're a Kraken fan, you know, you're wondering again what's happening with Shane Wright. Yesterday, again, only six minutes of ice time, 636 uh, to be specific for Shane Wright. But nonetheless, congratulations. Uh, always special when you get your first point. 12 games on the go around the NHL this evening. Mentioned the uh, Vancouver Canucks facing off against the Minnesota Wild. Uh, we're going to talk about Vancouver here in a couple of moments with Greg Wyshynski. We'll talk about a lot of things with Greg for a tour around the league. Now, normally we have Greg on Wednesdays. He was a little bit tied up yesterday. Normally at this time, we have Elliot Friedman. He's tied up at this time today, so he's pushed again uh, until next hour. So a kickoff next hour, Friedge will. Wyshynski's coming up here in a couple of moments. Also, we're going to stick on this Vancouver-Minnesota game tonight. Not that I want to say the sky is falling in Minnesota, but certainly the goaltending is falling in Minnesota. They can't seem to buy a save, and it's undoing a lot of work that organization is doing, a lot of work that those players are doing. Uh, We'll talk to Mike Russo about the 0-3 Minnesota Wilds. So he is still to come on the uh, on the program today. And as I mentioned, Greg Wyshynski stops by in a couple of moments. Some pretty interesting games on the on the go this evening. And, and a few to really circle uh, as well. The Toronto Maple Leafs face off against the Dallas Stars. So yesterday, Elliot and I had a chance to sit down with Jason Robertson uh, at a hotel in downtown Toronto. That's going to be on the podcast that we release tomorrow. Uh, and I think part of the interview might make its way into the pregame show tonight if you're watching on Sportsnet Ontario. Uh, part of our conversation with Jason Robertson. The pregame gets going at 6.30. The puck drops just after 7. All of a sudden, the Los Angeles Kings have won three games in a row. They're hot. They face off against the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's one to keep your eyeballs on. The New Jersey Devils, perhaps for all the wrong reasons. Uh, a team to keep your eyes on. They face off against the Islanders tonight, 7.30 Eastern. I mentioned the Canucks in the wild. Um, and pay attention to Carolina and Edmonton as the whispers behind that game say Stanley Cup preview. Sportsnet West at uh, 9 o'clock Eastern for that one. Meantime, from ESPN, he's the co-host of The Drop. He is the one and only Greg Wyshynski. He joins me weekly here on the show. How are you, Mr. Wyshynski? I'm good. The Drop uh, is now weekly. It's a video streaming show. I'm treating it like my own TV show. And the the first episode is on the NHL on ESPN uh, feed. You can check it out now. By the way, uh, speaking of the Stanley Cup preview tonight between Carolina and Edmonton, when I wrote my column yeah. picking the Oilers, I really thought I was being like a super hipster, smart guy in the room. Hey, they might not have goaltending, but I bet you the Oilers can win the cup. And then like the ESPN prognostications come out, like they're the second choice behind Colorado. I think Frege picked them to win the cup. I think yeah. Steve Wino, our friend, picked them to win the cup. Like, I, I kind of feel like I should have gone. I feel I feel like I should have gone with Calgary instead. <laughs> like I feel like I feel like my hipster pick has now become <laughs> the, the Garage Band has become the major label band, Merrick. I don't know what the hell happened. 
all of a sudden you became you uh, two at Live Eight. All of a sudden, wow! You just popped, and all of a sudden now you're now you're now you're a mainstream pick. I don't know how it's a hipster pick when you pick a team with Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. Can you please explain that logic to me? Sure, uh, Stu Skinner and Jack Campbell. <laughs> That's the logic. No, I mean the reason I picked them is because I figured one of those guys would be at least uh, average, right? And then you get average goaltending behind what I think yeah. is a really talented and good and deep forward group. I'm I'm betting on Kenny Holland going out and finding another veteran defenseman at the deadline. Although I got to tell you, man, like you see the way this league is shaping up right now. You know, whoever is going to be the David Savard, for lack of a better proxy. At this trade deadline, yeah. someone's going to get a king's ransom for him because I feel like there's like seven teams all looking for that second pairing veteran defenseman to get them over the top right now. So whoever's holding that card is going to do pretty well for themselves at the deadline. It's you know what David Savard is a great example. I'll throw Ben Sherratt into that mix as well. Someone is getting a second pairing defenseman. Everyone's going to be chasing a second pairing D, and it's going to cost them a first round pick. Which at yep, the beginning absolutely. of the season, you say to yourself, oh, no, no, that's that's way, way too expensive for that player. And then trade deadline rolls around and you're nip and tuck for a playoff spot. And you say to yourself, oh, man, if we fall out and get to really hear it from my owner and, you know, I don't know what my future is. I might not even be here for this draft pick if it's a couple of years away. Uh, like we saw with the Florida Panthers. Screw it. I'm just going to pay the Kings ransom and we're going to get our defenseman. And right now, like you look around the NHL, like we started off the season and we, we looked at we looked at Boston and said, okay, injuries are the you know the story there. And there's two biggies with you know McAvoy and Grizzlick. And now you see Aaron Ekblad and you see Jake Muzzin. Um, if you're the Arizona Coyotes, there's no reason to drop your price for Jacob Chikrin. Like right now, with every and Scott Perunovich goes down at the beginning of the season for the St. Louis Blues. Like there is zero reason. I know maybe there's some frustration from the player, but wish there is zero reason for Arizona to lower their price for Jacob Chikrin because there are needs out there, Wish. There are needs. There are. Um, I want to park on that draft pick thing for a second, but another guy that, that I'm thinking about is someone like, for example, Damon Severson in his last year of his deal with the Devils, 28, right side D, real good player. Like, yep. if they're not in it, that's the kind of guy that I think could bring back a pretty good return. Um, the draft pick part of this is very interesting, though. Like, if you're on the bubble... And you are pushing in your chips to get your David Savard, Ben Sherratt type guy, and he costs you a one. Like, are you going to be allowed to trade that one? Like, uh, don't you have to be firmly ensconced in a playoff spot considering this draft in order to, you know, give up the first round pick? It's a good point because when Florida did it, they were firmly ensconced. Uh, when Tampa did it to Savard, they were firmly ensconced. I'll need to go back and, you know, just thinking trade history, you know, where were the teams, where were the positions when Kyle Quincy went for that first-round draft pick and we all went, whoa, oh, oh, Kyle wow. Quincy just yeah. went for a first-round draft pick, right? Good pull. Like that's, Good pull. That was sort of one of the first ones where you looked at you looked and you said, ooh, wow, that's a – you know, there's a uh, Brian Burke would always make the point that there's two times during the year where general managers overpay for defense. It's trade deadline and it's free agency. Those two days uh, are when everyone pays too much, whether it's by way of assets or by way of money for a defenseman. But I I'm with you. I think it's honestly, I think it's shaping up the exact same way this season. And I think Damon Severson's an interesting one. I thought that uh, before they wrapped him up, I thought Travis Sanheim 
could have been one of those players mm-hmm. on the market that if you know Philadelphia really decided to go the the burn it all down and, and build it back up again, they could have fetched a lot uh, for Travis Sanheim. The problem is then you try to find another player like Travis Sanheim, and they don't really exist uh, around the yeah. NHL, although Calgary might have one in Chris Tanev. Um, but I think you're right. Like I think that you look around the NHL right now, I think we're going to see – Teams looking for that same commodity at trade deadline, and the prices are going to be high because right. coming, and that's the, why the other thing so to consider having... too is the the other. So yeah. if I can just interject with it, the other thing that we need to consider here too. I mean, Elliot's always a big one on this one. Don't forget how much money comes in come playoff time and how much money was lost for some of these organizations during COVID. So if a mm-hmm. first round draft pick means a couple of extra dates at home. I don't know that it might be the GM's decision, but team president and, you know, right to the top team owner, eh, I'm pretty sure they're pretty cool with it. It's an interesting cost-benefit analysis. How much money do you make in a couple of playoff dates uh, during a first-round exit versus the long-term economic impact of Connor Bedard? Yeah. It's a, it's, a very, it's a very interesting. Open up your textbooks, kids, your Econ 101 textbooks. Yeah. For uh, that, the, the, the you know, I was having a beer with somebody the, the, uh, last uh, night. I know, shocker. And uh, yeah. they were talking about the Tampa Bay Lightning. <laughs> we were using Tampa Bay okay. uh, in our conversation about like where Patrick Kane might go. Uh, I was talking with somebody who thought they could be in on Patrick Kane, and I think that's kind of a fun idea. I, I think we all assume uh, Julianne Breezewell will be in on any uh, interesting prospect to make his team be- better. But I think the Lightning, for example, have to be one of those teams that come trade deadline time is going to be looking for the Ryan McDonough type, right? Like, I feel like if if they're still on track to be a cup contender, I feel like they're, they're a team that's going to really ante up to find out defensemen. Uh, I don't disagree. I think they're in that. I think that uh, I think that Tampa's in a lot of these discussions. And as we saw with Brandon Hagel, you know, they they realize that the the window is still right now, and that's why they're, you know, locking up their cores as, as long as they can. That's why Sergachev got his deal, and, you know, we all saw, you know, uh, what happened with um, uh, with the deals in the in the, in the offseason. Um, I think the Nick Paul deal, for one, the Anthony Sorelli deal, I think that right now it's, you know, who cares about tomorrow? This is burn the boats for the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know, are they in on, will they be in on Patrick Kane? I would believe it. You know, any other name, the pop, like the, the two teams that we always know, like there are two teams which you can always say whenever a name pops up, they're in it. And that is Colorado and Carolina. Like they're mm. always around all of them. Um, the Calgary Flames are always curious about everybody because the reputation that Brad for Living has carved out for himself in the industry is um, that guy works his phone maybe like no other GM. Like, he calls on everybody all the time. Like, if you're, if you're a team, uh, if you're a fan of a team uh, and you want a general manager that's really frisky in the marketplace and makes calls <laughs> on everybody, I know everyone loves Jim Rutherford for all the trades. I'll take Brad for a living because he's, he's, he's knocking on every door all the time. But I, I, think those are the, I, I think Carolina will be in all the conversations. I still think that Colorado either ends up with, you know, a, a combination of either Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taves, and I can see Tampa being all in on, on all of it too. Those are the three that jump out right away. And then we always have to throw sure. in Vegas because it's Vegas and they're in on everybody. Yeah. Florida, not so, Florida I think, doesn't have any capital to give up anymore for, for like, any of these guys that might be available this year. They don't have their one. I don't think you know, they have any draft probably... picks until my kids are up. My kids are up for the draft. I think that's the next time that they've... <laughs> Got a well, I sure hope that Ben Sherratt was worth it. Guess would be. 
<laughs> what do you make of? Uh, I mean, what do you make of the? We'll get there now. What do you make of the Florida Panthers now? The latest news with with Aaron Ekblad going out, and you know, no Mackenzie Weger to uh, to sub in. I mean, it didn't hurt him against the Philadelphia Flyers. They come out with two points, but long term, like you've already absorbed one hit by losing Mackenzie Weger. Now you lose Aaron Ekblad, and everybody on that back end gets bumped up one spot. Yeah, they're they're as many people have. Uh, put up the depth chart, I think, in the last 24 to 48 hours after the Ekblad injury. Yeah. Like, that is that is not a playoff-quality group back there right now, minus Ekblad, minus Uyghur. Um So I think their their plan is hopefully to just maintain until hopefully he's healthy. But, dude, like, remember all those years when Giordano was going to win the Norris and then he'd get hurt? And they were just like, ah, damn. Like, if yeah. only he was healthy, he probably would have won the Norris. Then he gets a moderately healthy season and he wins the Norris. The same thing's going to happen with Ekblad. Like, I feel like we all recognize the talent of this guy. I think part part of it is trying to figure out how good he'd be without Uyghur long-term. Um, that was a bit of a yeah. question mark this season. But the talent, the drive, the complete and utter lack of luck when it comes to injuries, there's going to be a season when he plays 80 games and wins the Norris just by virtue of having played 80 games. That's my prediction. Do you not think that, though, that we're just handing this thing to Kale McCarr for the next 10 years? Like, I, I look at Kale McCarr right now, Wish, and I say, you know, there was, I think it was 67, where Harry Howell, okay? Where Harry Howell <laughs> won the Norris. And the feeling was Harry had been a great defenseman for a lot of years, but had never won the Norris Trophy. And the feeling and the belief was... They gave it to Harry Howell because they knew that Bob Uar was going to dominate the Norris for the next <laughs> 10 years, and that was his only shot to win it. So it's like, Harry, you've done good. This is your last chance. We're going to give it to you because Bobby's taking the ball and running with it now for the next 8 to 10 years. Do you not get that sense that, you know, Roman Yossi just snuck in under the wire before Kale McCarr <laughs> became, you know, the blue line version of Connor McDavid, essentially, and we're just handing this thing to him for the next 10 years? I like that theory. That's a good theory, man. And, and and in fact, the only player to win multiple Norris trophies in consecutive seasons, and I think the last, at least the last 25 years, was, was Lidstrom. Otherwise, if you look at yeah. the Norris in the last decade, like it's been all over the place. I mean, everybody's gotten a taste. Some guys like Duncan Keith have gotten multiple tastes, but uh, everybody gets a taste. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I essentially think you're right, but as an awards voter, I can tell you that the way this usually works is that, you know, maybe he puts together a back to back Norris and then, you know, people mm -hmm. get bored and and then now now we're looking for the the guy on the not as good as Colorado team who's got really good analytics and, you know, yeah, Makar's leading yeah. in points by 30, uh, but maybe this yeah. guy could be the Norris guy this time. So that's usually how it works. It's like right. we're going to put over Makar for like three or four three seasons either as a finalist or as a back-to-back -back winner and then we'll go and be like i don't know this guy on this bad team probably deserves some love and then he'll win it you know you know who the hipster the hipster norris candidate is though still i mean it's hard to say like you know someone's like a sneaky hipster pick when he's as good as this guy and he still gets headlines and, and i think should deserve a, a norris trophy somewhere in here is is charlie mcavoy Oh sure. You know, to me, McAvoy is the guy. Like I think we all look at Miro Haskinen and say, should is good enough to win a Norris sometime. You look at Quinn Hughes and say this guy's good enough uh to win the, the Norris trophy. Man, to me, Charlie McAvoy is the guy. 
You know, and, and how, how often, or rather how seldom, do we ever talk about Charlie McAvoy in terms of Victor Hedman, Roman Yossi, and now Kale McCarr? Never. And that's another, should. That's another guy, like, like Ekblad with the injuries. But, you know, there's two other guys that I find intriguing yeah. that are out there. Three, maybe three. Like, I think Drysdale's real good, um, but maybe needs to round out his game a bit more on the defensive end. Um, Owen Power is a freak. Like, his skating ability for his size is... <laughs> insane and and i think that like when the sabers pop as a contender if he's leading the parade playing like 25 a night like he'll get norris love yeah and then i'm kind of moderately obsessed with edvinson the the big you know tower of a man with the uh with the detroit red wings like they might have something there with that kid and and, and i think it bears watching yeah to see you know, I think we're all on the most most seaters going to win a, a Norris train, but don't sleep on the fact they've got another another defensive prospect on that team that's going to be really something in this league. Edvinson looks really good. Uh, I think he's going to spend a lot of time in in GR. I don't think they're going to rush him at all. He'll spend his time in in, in Grand Rapids. Um, the one guy that I'm kind of surprised you didn't mention there is you know one of the players that you know as we look for breakout players for the season. You know, I think Tim Stutzel is going to be one of those guys. The other is Rasmus Dahlin. Like, mm-hmm. speaking of the Buffalo Sabres, like, he looks excellent, Wish. Every single game, he's doing something. Snowing Josh Norris in the face the other day in that game <laughs> against the Ottawa Senators. I think he's got goals in his last three games. Like, come on, man. Like, this guy's this guy's super legit. It take, listen, it took him a while. I get that. Oh, did it. But he's here now, no? Like, he's he's here. Raz is here. Yeah, and they have him playing with Samuelson. They were a good pairing last year, and I think they're going to be a good pairing this year too. And, um, yeah, I, he's one of those guys that came into the league so young. He feels like he's been part of our lives since, like, the 90s. <laughs> but it turns out he's, like, 23. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's really he's, – to finally see him sort of round into form and, and justify the, the pick um, is is a really satisfying yeah. thing. So all 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 glory to – Rasmus Dalin. And again, a lot of this is contingent on when your team goes from being a basement dweller to being a contender. And, you know, if they get the goaltending they got the other night from Comrie, maybe that'll be happening sooner than later. Of the three, I don't think we ever talked about this, Merrick. Of the three, what's up? The Senators, Red Wings, and Sabres that are like bubbling under the surface in the in the Atlantic Division right now. Are you the, are you a Senators guy? Because I was a Red Wings guy. I actually think the Red Wings are going to finish ahead of the Senators. But were you a Senators guy before the season? Uh, I'm going to take the coward's way out and say it depends on goaltending. How about that? Um, the thing about all of them is like, there's things that I love about them and there's things that I hate about them. <laughs> you know, like, I, I, there's like, I really, like I've, I have a personal bias that I got to get out here. Like I grew up watching a lot of the Buffalo Sabres and you know, I don't really cheer for teams as much as I cheer for players. But the one team that I do find myself like trying to will to victory, like, oh come on, just let them win this one, are the Buffalo Sabers. Right. Like I've always wanted Buffalo to do really well. So my my default love goes to the Buffalo Sabers, and there's a lot of things on the Sabers that I really really like. Like I want to see how good this Uka Pekalukanen goaltender is. Like how how good can this can this guy be when he finally gets his shot? Um, uh, Eric Comrie the other it was at 46 saves for Comrie. It was only like five minutes ago we were talking about Comrie's being the best goaltender, not currently playing in the NHL. I like seeing a team take a, a quote unquote chance on him and offer more than a one year deal. Good on. Adams for offering him the two and 
It looks, again, early like it's paying off. Who doesn't love the Craig Anderson story? The guy that doesn't take his gear home in the offseason, just shows up, pulls it out of the locker, and starts playing. And, oh, by the way, he's the oldest guy in the league right now. And he, on game one, totally stoned the Ottawa Senators. Uh, And we're starting to see the blue line round out, too. The one that I really, I hope I'm wrong on, and it's not that I think he's bad. I just don't know that he's going to be as good as last season. Is Tage Thompson? Mm. I like a whole lot of Alex Tuck. <laughs> I think he's yeah. outstanding. You know, I like JJ Paterka from what I've seen. He looks like oh, yeah. he's super legit. I'm, but I, I still have, I think, like a lot of us, a lot of questions about the Sabers up front. I just think that you should be honest with your listeners. Like you're rooting for the Sabers to be good. Because you want them in the cup, you want you and Elliot to do some sort of live show in Buffalo, and you want to fulfill your lifelong <laughs> dream of someone press slamming you through a table that's on fire. That's all you want in life, and that's well, all they do in Buffalo. You know, maybe, maybe it's because the first time I ever saw an ECW show was in Buffalo. Like before I was it saw really? it in Philly, before New York, all of it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, ECW. I think it was like only in front of like front of five hundred people too. It was great. Oh yeah, that's like that's because ECW that's, is like the most the, the, the most Buffalo which... thing. It's ECW is like the most Buffalo thing to not have originated in Buffalo. I think that's that's pretty it attracts, is. the tracks. Yeah, but I, you know, you and I have talked about this before Absolutely. about how like when the when the when the Blackhawks be, were good again, it was like finding everybody in the country. Uh, everybody in the country was suddenly activated that had ever had any affinity for the Chicago Blackhawks. Same thing with the Bruins. Like, Bruins fans that lied dormant for years, all of a sudden, you were seeing Bruins car flags in your neighborhood. Um, I long okay. said that when the, if the Islanders got really good, then then that would have been uh, the, the fan base that, that was dormant and would snap too. But the real answer is Buffalo. Like, if Buffalo ever becomes, like, a cup contender, the mania that we see surrounding Buffalo Bills games will be the mania that we see surrounding Buffalo Sabres games. Uh, I don't doubt. If you could pick one player off that team, who would uh, who would go through a table? <laughs> the Sabres? Yeah. Oh, God. What are, I, I, I kind of want... I always... I know that people like to see, like, the big guys go through the table, um, you know, which is sort of a, a thrilling thing. So, like, Tuck would be a good choice, but honestly, like, I like to see the Mighty Mites go through the table... So I would probably yeah. pick Jeff Skinner. <laughs> also, or, also I know or if Skinner, you, if Skinner or, goes or, hang through, on, hang if, on, or as you would rename him Spike Dudley. Yeah, exactly. And, and and if but the good thing is that if Skinner goes through the table and God forbid gets injured, like he's he's got the money. He's like he's gonna be all right. He's okay. Yeah, no one's uh, no 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 one's crying for him. Um, okay, so a, a couple of things here. So I started off the show today by talking about the Vancouver Canucks. You know, surprise, surprise. You know, four games in a row, multi goal leads. We all know the stories. Squandered all of them. Uh, it's two nothing. You know, a few minutes left in the second period. Columbus scores, and we all say the same thing. Here we go again, and we did. They did pick up a point, but nonetheless, tonight they face off against the Minnesota Wild. Saturday, uh, it's back home against our favorite ECW, even though it's not really an ECW origin city, uh, the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, <laughs> how do you see Vancouver? Because, you know, you were tweeting about this the, the other day that you, you had mentioned on Vancouver Radio that there doesn't seem to be a whole lot different from one administration to the next administration. You want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, they've, the, this is Jim Benning's team. They went out and, and bought in 
Jimmy Rutherford and 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 Alvin and and it's still Jim Benning's team and I don't know why. Um, the core was I, I, I okay. The only thing I can think of is that this is one of those situations where what happened in the bubble became canonical, and now they can't break up the core because of it because they're convinced there's something there. It's the same thing that like Dallas got brain worms and decided to make uh, Rick Bonus a, a permanent coach after what was an anomalous run in in the bubble playoffs. Like bad decisions were made by teams, and I feel like what Vancouver did there somehow convinced ownership that this core is going to be good enough to challenge for a Stanley Cup. And in actuality, what should be happening is that you should do what other teams do when their core doesn't succeed, which is kind of like prune it a little bit and use those assets to improve areas of your team that really need help. Like, for example, the entire one side of their defense that's garbage. (laughs) Like, if you took Brock Besser (laughs) and traded him uh, or took JT Miller and traded him you probably could have gotten something back to really help that part of your team, correct? But instead, it's pretty much the same roster that Jim Benning built, except Jim Benning's not there anymore, but we're still going through the motions with this team. I don't understand what the plan is. I don't understand why you go outside okay, the organization, so Hank, bring someone in to audit, and then yeah. the audit is, ah, it's fine. Let's keep the team together. Okay, so I had this interesting conversation with Thomas Trance a couple of weeks ago. And the conversation revolved around at what point does it become your team? Like if you re-sign a player who was already there from a different administration, you become like I'm of the belief, you become that that player becomes your player when you re-sign that player. So where you might look at JT Miller and say, Oh, that's a Benning player. No, 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 no. That's a Rutherford Alvin player now. Well, you look at Brock Bester and say, Okay, well that's a that's a Benning player. No, it's not. That is a Rutherford Alvin player. You can look at some of the other players on the team and say, well, they haven't been re-signed. They haven't been able to, to move them. We all understand what the marketplace is like. So jury is still out. But I'm always curious at what point, and maybe it's just all different for, from team to team and situation to situation, at what point as a manager does it really become your team? Because you might look at it and say, that's still Benning's team. But the decision to keep some of those players were made by Rutherford and Alvin. So sure. how much do they? How, how much is this or, their team at this point? Or or by the Aquilinis. I mean, that's part of this too, right? It's not as if you don't have yes. a bit of an activist owner, right? Um, mm-hmm. No, I think that's a good point. But I, I think to, for, to to push the ball downfield a little bit more, Merrick, though, like, is it a good decision to keep? the team together to you know whether whether it's Benning's team or Rutherford's team um is it a good decision to not have traded Besser is it a good decision to not have traded Miller um is it a good decision to keep doubling down on this group when the results haven't been there and when obviously there are parts of this lineup that need major triage and the only way to do that is to maybe trade part of the core so the 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 one thing that I will say about that is I don't know if it's good to keep those players until I know all the offers that were on the table, until we know what was actually offered. Because I don't know that we can say, oh, you know what, Rutherford and Alvin really messed up because they didn't move JT Miller in the offseason. Well, you know, what did the Islanders offer? What did the Rangers offer? What did the Penguins offer? What did whom at Los Angeles Kings offer? We don't know. 
We have, we have no idea what they offered. I mean, we've all heard, you know, whispers and, and hints and rumors, but we don't know. So I, do, I really don't know that we can judge. The interesting mm. thing about it is, is this new management group still has the ability to move these players. You know, JT Miller specifically, you know, when you sign that extension and it has trade protection, when that happens, you know, you are allowed to go back on the last deal and offer the same trade protection or cover the player with trade. Vancouver didn't do that. Like they still do have the ability to be free and clear to trade JT Miller. They could still do the same with Brock Besser. You know what I mean? Like it's, they still have the wiggle room to do that. It's not as if they're... 100% 100% locked into these players. They still have, and what I mean, when Rutherford took over, like initially it was all about flexibility, flexibility, flexibility. Even though these players have signed extensions, they still do have the flexibility to do something with them. Mm. How does it's that It's almost like you're saying it? that if you, if you tell a coach that he's coming back in the offseason, you could still fire him five games into the season. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> you could. Is it like that? Yes. <laughs> You could, but you know what? But here's the but here's the thing. Here's the thing about that. Is it not? And I know what's happened before, but is it not an indictment on your management group if you do that? Because if you were gonna do it, just do it. Just just you know just have it just have done it in the off season, if you were gonna do it. But again, you know this, I mean? this comes back like, is to that how not an, absolute an, 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 no, Merrick. This goes back to how absolutely bonkers this market is, okay? Because the management group didn't hire the coach. The owner hired the coach after firing the general manager and the the old coach. This isn't their guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's how messed up the situation is. Is because like Rutherford comes in, fix this. Oh, by the way, here's your coach that I hired before you got here. <laughs> Um, let's get to one other thing here uh, when, it, when it comes to coaches because I, wa- I want to get in a couple of points about the, uh, the NHL diversity and inclusion uh, report that, that you wrote about um, a couple of days ago. Um, how do you see the Maple Leaf situation right now? Um, predictable. Uh, they, they cast their lot with a goalie that can't stay healthy and another goalie that, I mean, is inconsistent at best. But the... But has, it, but, but has the goaltending I, I, been the problem, though? No, no, no. Has the goaltending no, I mean, been the it, problem, it's, though? It, it's not, but it will be, and it will continue to be. I wrote about uh-huh. this in the, the overreactions uh, piece that I wrote in my column today um, about the Sheldon Keefe thing. And it's incredible to me that not only did he overreact to the loss to the Coyotes by calling out his elite players what, three games into the season, he then overreacted to the overreaction <laughs> by basically <laughs> apologizing for having done so. And, and to me, it's, it's a snapshot of the fragile psyche of this organization, knowing that, you know, the management group is staring into the abyss if things don't go, and go well, knowing that they can't get past the first round, all of that stuff is like an anchor that they carry with them. And, and I, feel, I feel like the stuff that happened with Keith in the media is sort of indicative of that. It's like, okay, you either have the gall to call out your elite players for having lost to Arizona at home three games into the season, and then you put your foot down and really assertively ask for more of them 
because you feel at this point in the season mm-hmm. that's what needs to be done or you don't and you realize that sometimes things happen sometimes bad games occur on the uh, in an 82 game stretch you're probably going to win more games because of Marner and Matthews than lose more games because of Marner and Matthews and uh and maybe don't do that so the dysfunctionality of their psyche I think was really brought to the forefront by that whole you know calling out your elite players thing that happened after the Coyotes debacle. All right, park that one. Uh, I've only got like five minutes left with you here, and I want to talk to you about the NHL's diversity and inclusion report that came out, and you had a chance to talk to uh, Kim Davis. Uh, I always, you know, treasure every chance I get to talk to her. Um, Executive VP of Social Impact Growth and Legislative Affairs. Uh, When you read it and after you talked to Davis, what were your takeaways? I mean, I don't think any of it was, you know, surprising, about you know employees across the NHL and uh, and their composition, eighty three percent of which uh, are white. But what were your main takeaways from this? So one of the things I found interesting is I found a poll of uh, NHL fans that was uh, done within the last few years, and the percentage of fans that are white uh, through this poll was lower by like five or six percent. The, per- the percentage of mm-hmm. the NHL workforce is. So even with that bar being as high as it is for, you know, the demographics, it, it, they don't even reflect their, their current fan base. Um, so that was one thing mm-hmm. that is a clear n- necessity is like, look, look, not only look like your current fan base, but look like the fan base that you want. Two other things about it. Uh, one is that when it comes to diversity in the NHL workforce, the real key is that, and and this is what Kim Davis and I talked about, you have to make it so if people, if women and and, and people of color seek jobs in the NHL, they do so knowing that they aren't going to be bumping up against a ceiling once they get their foot in the door. And I feel like Kim in particular feels like there's a perception of that, like advancement for people that mm-hmm. aren't white males within hockey um, is a difficult task. So why even pursue that avenue of employment? And then the last thing, and this is something for me and you and everybody else to really pay attention to. And Kim bought this, bought this up. I thought it was a good point. Why would anybody that doesn't look like the majority of people that are involved in the NHL want to get involved in the NHL if they're, main exposure to the game is going to the arena and feeling like they absolutely are not welcome there because of the things they see mm-hmm. or the things they hear or the things that are told to them or the looks that they get. Like, I thought that was an excellent point. They're, they're putting out a fan code of conduct that's going to go to all 32 teams to try to remedy this. But until yep. we make that just general entry point feel more welcoming and make people feel like that they can be a part of this community in the arena without wincing or squirming, um, then we're never going to be able to fix the rest of it. And, and I think I give Kim credit. Like, I don't think a lot of this could end up being talk, man. You know, that's just how it is. A lot of it could be superfluous. Yeah. We'll see what the ultimate actions look like. But at the very least, I think they are paying attention to the right things, which is that in order to fix the top, you really got to start at the bottom. Okay, so I see one huge elephant in the room here that no one's really addressed. And you know what that is? What's that? NHL ownership. Mm-hmm. Like, if you yeah. want to talk about going from the top to the bottom, like, 
We go to the BOGs. We saw we see the people going into those meetings. They all look the same. Like we understand, you know, aggressive, you know, recruiting and hiring practices to be more reflective of how you want the game to look and how you want the game to be perceived. And I like, and this is, you know, whenever I talk to my friends about, you know, things like women's hockey, for example, I always say, well, you don't have to like it, but please understand that if more girls and women play hockey, if more people from ethnic, ethnically diverse backgrounds pick up a hockey stick and play hockey, it's good for you too, white male, because that grows the game. That means more rinks. That means more equipment manufacturers. That means more sponsorships. That means more people involved because the tent is bigger. So even if you're not interested in it, you benefit from it. And to me, I see the elephant in the room as, well, what about the ultimate top here? What about NHL ownership? That all looks identical to me. Is there a a plan to diversify ownership in the NHL. I haven't seen that discussed yet. Well, the question is, do you mean diversify primary ownership or do you mean diversify ownership groups? Pri- primary primary ownership. Well, you're talking about major socioeconomic, <laughs> a major socioeconomic problem. No, I, I understand. As far as concentration of wealth Ab- in, in both of our countries. Absolutely. But is that, is there any, I mean, there's nothing in this report about it, but is it even something that has been acknowledged? Well, because I've I've never seen it. Of course, it's like in the the report about it. It was a report to the board of governors. (laughs) What is she going to do? Stand in the room and be like, (laughs) by the way, I don't think half of you should be here. No, I I think the easy, by the way, you, 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 and you out. (laughs) Right out. Listen, Vinick, I appreciate all the stuff you built in Tampa, but we can't have, Listen, I think I think the easier fix is is trying yeah. to, is is maybe like mandating a, a diversity within ownership groups. And there, and listen, if you look at who owns teams, yeah. uh, I think you might be surprised that there there are a bit there is a bit more uh, a few women and people of color involved in ownership groups than you might expect. It's still not a lot, right, by by anybody's standards. But I think that is the easier fix than than the the, the bigger issue, which I think is a societal issue as far as concentration of wealth. Um, but you know, getting more people involved in the ownership side, I think is, is ultimately a good thing. And I agree with you. Like it wasn't in the report, but I'm sure there was probably a reason it wasn't in the report considering who the report was tailored for. The, 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 the one area that I will point to where, you know, to your point about, you know, Kim Davis, this is presented to the board of governors. I think the, the, the first step before you get to, and I should have put this in as a, as a qualifier. I think the first step you get to before you get to the actual ownership issue and the diversity of, you know, what, you know, the, 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 the march uh, of, of people in the uh, board of governors meetings. I think the first thing that has to happen is a diversity of thought before you get to a diver- diversity of appearance. And right. as long as that one is being addressed initially, then I think, I mean, I'm a, again, this is a, like you just said, like, who, who knows, like when the rubber hits the road on this, I'm hoping that that next phase happens after diversity and, and re- of thought is accomplished, then, okay, now let's bring in, you know, a diversity of ownership group. And real quick, cause I know we're up against it, but like, that's a huge part of this. Uh, Kim Davis will never take credit for what's been happening in management with the hiring of women for assistant general manager positions, uh, Mike Greer becoming the first, you know, black general manager in NHL history. Like, you know, she's not going to take credit for this stuff, but I, I do think, 
that two years ago when the NHL put out all of their like committees and councils on on uh, diversity and inclusion, that it got people thinking. Like you said, Merrick, got people thinking. It, it, it started conversations. Yeah. It planted seeds. Um, you know, it's not always here is the thing that we're going to throw a million dollars at and here are the results. Sometimes it's just trying to get inside of people's brains and, and have them consider other views, other options, other candidates. And, and there might be a little bit of, of, um, of correlation between those conversations having started two years ago and what we're seeing now finally uh, in this last offseason. You know, I'm really glad that uh, as part of it, they called out and, you know, shouted out Hockey Equality, Anthony Stewart and his wife Shantae's group, because I've seen it firsthand, uh, what they've been able to do, getting uh, sticks in hand, skates on feet, uh, reduced ice, uh, reduced equipment prices as well, providing scholarships um, for a lot, of, a lot of young athletes. So I'm glad that, that Stewie's group was called out on this one. Uh, okay, well, listen, a dozen games tonight. Enjoy it. Wish we'll talk in six days. You're back on Wednesday next week, right? Indeed I am. Don't big time me again. Okay. Thanks, bud. You be good. There he is, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Check out The Drop as part of uh, ESPN Hockey's YouTube channel.